You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling a home to live and to sell. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 132. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So I know I took a little bit of break in between, but we did get a lot done in the past three months. So we just wrap up our SagerCon, our second annual virtual conference for home sagers, and we celebrated another year of the International Home Sager Awards. So we had a really great time at SagerCon this year, and 17 Hats actually joined us as a partner to help out to put on the conference. So thank you, 17 Hats, for that. And this year, we also have winners and finalists from the States, Canada, UK, Australia, Poland, Portugal, and Thailand. So that was really, really exciting. And the competition this year has been really fierce. I did not envy our judges at all. And you can now see all the winners and finalists on our new website for the awards at homestagingawards.com. And for those of you who have missed it, but want to join in on the fun, we are now starting a monthly challenge. So for more information on that, just head over to our show notes. We were going to have a link on that. And then also you can see it on our Instagram as well. We have announced it on our Instagram. You can find us on Instagram at stage for more spelled S-T-A-G-E-D, number four, M-O-R-E, to see how you can enter and win. We're going to link everything there. And I think this is also going to be another great way for you to get your home staging work featured. And I highly recommend you send in your project so we can feature you on our blog. So that would be great for your social media and for your SEO. And then we're going to tag you on social media as well. And in addition to a podcast coming back, I'm also starting something really new. I'm going to go live every week on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's a new series I'm doing on Instagram called the Hump Day Lunch Hour. So bring your questions and join me live on Instagram at 12 p.m. on Wednesday. And sometimes I'm also going to have guests on the lunch hour to chat. So if you follow us on Instagram, just go to our profile at Stage for More. And on the upper right-hand corner, there's a little bell icon. If you click on it, Instagram will actually notify you when we go live. And we're also working hard on the back end as well, because we're actually getting ready to roll out our very first certification program. So it is structured as a graduate certificate. So it's going to be multiple months to complete. But we did break the certification into five phases. So it is modular and more flexible. So depending on where you are, your home staging business, you can actually join us as a complete beginner from start to finish all five phases, or you can join us in the middle in phase four if you have been working for a while as a home stager. And the way I did this is, you know, I really resist having this idea of pushing out certification programs because I feel like there are so many of them on the market already. Why do I want to put out another one? So I was just trying to figure out, well, what can we do that it's a bit different? And I'm really excited to be able to roll this out because I think this is something that is truly different and you've never seen anything like this before in the industry. And the other thing too is we plan to have office hour every other week rotating with implementation hours. So you get one week of implementation, really putting what you learn to practice. And then next week you have office hour to ask your question. And then also we're in the platform as well, in our course platform. So you always can get answered no matter what you're doing. So I think that is really awesome. And the other thing too is we plan out all these milestones as well for each phases. So you literally cannot pass until you finish your milestone. And if for some reason you're not hitting your milestone, we're going to mentor you until you do. So I think that way it has a lot of accountability 
built in not only from us as the tutors for the teachers, but also from your peers as well. Because when we think about doing the certification program, we really want to do it very well, right? So one of the things we start looking at is auditing our entire tech system on the back end. And I realized our current course platform is actually not doing what I want it to do. Because I feel like with SageCon and especially with everything, I really want Sage for More to be very community driven. Everything we do is about uplifting the community, regardless of your background, your affiliation, whatever. I want it to be a very inclusive and diverse community. And I think ultimately that's really going to help everyone thrive within that ecosystem. So it's really important for me to actually have a platform that reflects that. So this is why we do the awards, for example, because I really want to foster and really celebrate the transformational power of home staging. That is something that's really important to me. And so our course platform needs to reflect that as well. So this is why we decided to move course platform. So obviously it's going to coincide with our launch. It's the perfect time to kind of start anew in a new space with this new big certification program. On the back end, we call it the big fat certification. Obviously it has a much more official sounding name when we roll this out. We're also going to do it online open house as well. So you can kind of get to know the each phases. And many of you who have listened to a podcast for a long time, you have been through the journey with me where I went through two master programs while running Station More as a school internationally. I took a lot what I love about higher education, about the professional certification programs into our professional certification program. And this is why it's going to take you multiple months because I think there's so much within the business because I think most of the time when you're just in the hotel room for a few days learning about the business, you're really only scratching the top of the surface and you actually haven't done any work yet. So you can't really put anything practical into practice yet. And this is why our certification program is a bit different because not only we're going through the business side of things, you know, the theory, like how to run your business, what is the foundation the essential checklist of starting your home staging business, we are also making you work. So for example, in phase three, so we're going to start from phase one through five. So phase one is for if you're a complete beginner, we're going to start right from the beginning, from the A to Z. What exactly is home staging? The different business models, the different type of staging services that you can provide. And then you're going to go into styling and staging training in phase two. And then also building a portfolio. So actually in phase two, you have to graduate your phase two with a project that you stage in your house or your friend's house or whatever. And then you're going to have a mini portfolio review. Then you can move into phase three. So the phase three is actually you're going to be able to earn your first $10,000 as a stager. So you cannot actually pass to phase four until you hit your 10,000. And if you don't hit it for some reason, we're going to make sure you do. We're going to keep working on you until you really get that first $10,000. That roughly translates to three to four home staging projects or five or a lot of consultation, depending how you're structuring your home staging service. The point is you got real life experience. Now you know what you're dealing with, what the clients are really like. So when you move into phase four, going through building the business system in our six-year four-point course, you really have an understanding of the challenges and your vision too for your home staging business when you head into the foundation building. And then in phase five really is about mentoring and really fully developing your business 
and looking into your structure as well to make sure it's sound before we push you out into the real, real world, right? And then in between each phase, there are ways for you to earn bonus office hour, like one-on-one coaching with me. So it's a really fully developed and impactful certification program. And that's why it's really modeled after higher education. And I think it's really robust. And no matter where you are within your home staging business journey, you can join us from the total beginning. You can join us midway. It is flexible. It is modular. A program that I can really finally put my own stamp of approval on it. This is something I feel like is really me. It definitely has a lot of our fun personality quirkiness of it. Like if you experience SagerCon, the certification program is a preview of that. We have planned these really fun milestones for you to hit. And then there's going to be celebration prizes for you as well. So I'm really, really excited about that. Obviously, it's going to be a lot of work because we're going to overhaul our entire backend system for it. But I'm super excited about it. The whole point for me really is to build a community. So within our student community, like I really want accountability built in because really for me, when I first started my phone staging business, it was super lonely. There was really no support out there for me. And sometimes it's a hostile environment as well. So I feel like it's really important to foster that community so that you feel like you have someone, your peer to lean on in addition to business coaching and mentorship. Because I think combine that all together that's going to what makes a business really strong. And I have been through that myself. I have done a lot of education pieces, not only within staging, but outside staging as well. And I also have business coaches throughout most of my staging career. And even now, I consistently have coaching in my business and different areas of my business. And I think that's how you can continue to evolve and really future-proof your home staging business as well. That's one of the big focus we have in phase five is figuring out how can you diversify your staging income, but also future-proofing your business. I think COVID was a really good example of that. A lot of stagers were able to actually pivot very quickly and then think outside the box to create new services like curbside delivery service so people can still do vacant staging, but the client can do it on their own when it's safe for them under the COVID compliances. So there's lots of different ways to approach our staging business. We just have to be creative. And we also need to shift our mindset. And this is why I'm super excited about this certification program because I feel like it's hitting all those areas I want to see in a full-fledged graduate professional certificate program. So anyway, enough about us. I want to talk about our guest today. So our guest today is Bobby Sweet. He's a business coach on turning analysis paralysis into social media breakthrough, which I find it's very refreshing. And his company, The Same Circle Method, helps interior designers and home professionals harness a simple way to authentically and effectively put themselves out there so that they can stand out and become known for meaningful work and book clients are aligned to their goals. And we talk a lot about building a brand and marketing on this episode. And this also has been something that's come up throughout this year's StagerCon as well. I think staging as an industry has a very low threshold for entering. So anyone can become a stager. And as you know, from your own experience as well, that can be someone who's really good at staging or someone who's not good at staging and also bad at business practice. So we want to be able to differentiate ourselves very quickly and stand out in the marketplace, basically based on what differentiates us from the crowd. And I think one of the speakers, Pramiti from SagerCon as well, said it the best during her masterclass. 
that branding really allows you to charge more because you have already a really great first impression with your brand, with your potential customers. And so when they book you as their home stager, they actually have already a level of trust built in. So this is why brands are able to charge more for what they do because they're recognizable. They have a reputation behind them. So that's why I think it's really valuable to hear what Bobby has to say. And he also touched on Facebook ads as well. I did ask those questions. He does do social media marketing. And then also a few of you have asked about Facebook ads. So I thought it would be a perfect time to actually tap into Bobby's expertise to figure out how to do that a little bit. So he did give us a few tips on that. All right, so enough about the intro. Let's start the show. So hey, Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really great to have you. Before we get started today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get started in coaching home design professionals in marketing and sales? Thank you for having me, Cindy. Thank you so much. It's incredible to be here. To answer your question, I don't really have this linear path that really makes sense to anybody when I tell my whole story, because the truth is it's really like a snake in in terms of the path that my career took on in its trajectory. My whole background has been in marketing though. So that's the major theme. I've always wanted to be in branding. I've always wanted to do something creative. I do think of myself as a creative. I think the turning point for me was when I was working at a commercial design firm, I was heading up the marketing department. And at that time, you know, this was the, the days when LinkedIn was really popular. Facebook was really popular. Everybody was starting to get into WordPress. So that was the biggest like CMS thing, right? Like, oh, you got to be on WordPress. You need a website, you got to be on WordPress. There was no Instagram. And so I was also helping out biz dev with finding and generating leads. Long story short, I just could not figure it out. And my boss just called me into the office one day and he's like, Bobby, you know, I, I can't afford you. And I remember right then and there, I just... It caused me to think to myself, why haven't you figured it out, Bobby? What is it that you need to figure out? And how can you do things better the next time? And so it wasn't until years later when I actually left corporate and started my own agency. But after I left that firm, I also worked in other industries in marketing. So music industry was one of the industries I've also worked in. I worked in marketing at the urban marketing department at Universal Music and marketed urban artists at the time from 50 Cent to The Game to Lady Gaga when she just got started. You know, these were the hottest artists at the time. And I really got to work and develop campaigns for them. So I was very grateful for, for that experience. It wasn't until like a few years after that when I finally left corporate. And then I was like, okay. I need to do something entrepreneurially because that was my passion, right? I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always wanted to leave corporate, wanted to take my skills and apply it elsewhere. Guess what was the one thing that literally just triggered me to figure out? It was the time when I got fired. It wasn't the time when I played ping pong with Michael Bolton at the studio. It wasn't my fantastic efforts in figuring out branding copy for certain artists. Like it was what I was painful about. And I was triggered to figure something out, a better elegant solution for the design industry. 
And so, you know, as a creative and also having consulting work with my sister's friends who she referred to me, who were also contractors at the time, I basically developed some experience with the built environment. And at that time, I started consulting and consulting turned into a situation where I was like, okay, having conversations with my sister's friends, they were like, okay, you're doing a great job advising us on what to do for your marketing, but can you actually do it for us? Because we don't have the time. And so that's when I decided, okay, I need to build a team. I need to get some resources together. And how about we just start an agency? So that's when my agency was born. And I had been doing that for about six or seven years where I started a marketing agency that served the built environment, working with firms from architecture firms to interior design firms, design build firms, basically everyone in the built environment. And we weren't the cheapest. We had a premium service that only growing firms were able to afford. And the monthly retainers are typically around three to $7,000 per month. And so with that kind of a retainer, what we were doing for these firms were basically the entire gamut of online marketing from social media to figuring out ads for them to writing blog posts for them. We collected so much data that I feel like I know homeowners with the back of my hand. We even did things like, okay, we would call homeowners on behalf of our clients to do customer research. We would actually record our interviews just to understand how they made purchasing decisions. How did they make informed decisions at every stage of the buyer's journey from searching on the internet and Googling things all the way down to the sales call. I had many homeowners yell at me because some of our clients just weren't doing their jobs correctly and we got the brunt of the force. But anyhow, that's a, another story for, for another day. But that's how I basically developed the experience was working at this agency develop the knowledge, collect the data. And I noticed that there were so many firms that we had to turn away that needed this help. And so after working with a lot of designers as well, starting a beta group and then working with them, getting them results, I eventually started consulting and coaching designers in a more intimate capacity to help them and empower them to do it themselves, do marketing themselves, make their own breakthroughs, and taking what I had learned from the agency side of things and just giving it to them distilled down to the bare minimum of what they actually needed to do to really book those consultations from social media. Because after all, we're marketing to actually generate an ROI. I wanted to bring that to the industry. That is amazing. I have so many questions from that story. <laughs> First of all, what is it like to play ping pong with Michael Bolton? That man has pipes, I will tell you. He has really fantastic pipes. Playing with Michael Bolton is, I don't know, I can't really describe it. <laughs> really into myself the entire time when I was playing with Michael Bolton, because all you're thinking about is I'm like playing with Michael Bolton, not, oh, am I good enough to play ping pong? Am I, am I doing a good backhand here? And I've also played with many other artists. So it, was, it became normalized to me during my weekdays. So playing with artists was like a regular part of my work. Just having that opportunity, I guess, it's just, you just can never be too grateful for it, you know? Yeah, I think it's a bit surreal probably in the beginning. It's just another Tuesday for me playing ping pong with Lady Gaga. 
kind of thing. I didn't play with her though. <laughs> yeah. And the other day, I think they are just normal human beings, but they're obviously put on a pedestal. But yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure your days marketing artists like 50 Cent's Lady Gaga really taught you a lot. And I think one of the interesting things you talk about is the niche. I'm a huge fan of having a niche because I see how that transformed my own home staging business. And that's actually what we teach our students. I think it's really important to establish a niche to really start narrowing down what you really specialize in. What is your sweet spot? It's so much easier once you got your sweet spot and you can really streamline your marketing and your operations as well to target that specific group of clients. And then once you want to expand into other niche, it's much easier as well because you already got reputation built for one thing. But I think there's also a misconception about niche is that it can be really limiting. You know, we talk about like painting ourselves in the corner. And I think when you're too specific it can do a little bit of harm. So how can we find the right niche for our home staging service? That's a really great question. And I think the first thing is that you need to know yourself before anything else. Because if you don't know who you are, others are going to decide for you. And that sometimes that's okay because we test things, we get feedback, and it's all part of life. Business owners who aren't as astute they figure it out because others decided for them. And then they go, okay, well, you guys are wrong. I'm actually like this. And then I'm going to do business this way. So you need to know yourself. And the way you know yourself is to basically, you know, I always advise my clients to do this very simple thing of making it a habit every single quarter to interview your own clients because they are going to give you the goods. They will give you the marketing goal. They will give you the ideas that you need to decide if you should serve more like them or more people who are not like them. And it's a matter of pulling on threads that are going to tell you what your North Star is as you interview them. It's a basic conversation of asking them for 15 minutes of their time And if you have a really good rapport with them already, of course, they're going to do it for you. And so when you have that interview, make sure to record it. And these days, there's a lot of artificial intelligence software that can automatically transcribe your recordings very quickly and easily. And so having a transcription of that recording is going to be even better, right? So during that interview, you could literally just start the conversation with just one simple question. What was it like before we had met? Like, what were, what were you thinking about before we had met? And the reason why you want to ask that question is because we typically already know what their problems are and what they desire as we consult them during the sales process or during the sales call or during the work that we do with them. But we never really know what's going on in their heads prior to actually meeting us. And that is where the gold is because that's where marketing starts and sales begins. And so when you can understand decision criteria, decision-making criteria before they ever had ever met you, then you'll have the verbiage that you need to actually know who you need to be serving and how you can serve them best, how you can voice the pain points and the desires that they actually have. 
And that's why also transcriptions are really valuable here because you can take those transcriptions and take the exact verbiage and then use that in your marketing. So I always advise clients to start there, interview your clients, make it a habit, make it a quarterly thing. It's very simple to do. And it's one of the best things that you can do. Another thing that you can do is ask your friends and family who you are, right? Figure out how to be less wrong about your niche. We always need to start there first. We always think about what we want out of our niches, like what we want to serve, like what commercial residential niches are best. But why don't we start with being less wrong by asking our friends and family what we're actually good at? Defining that as a baseline and then going, okay, well, this is my current situation. Maybe I do have a gap between where I am and where I want to be, but at least I can work towards it. And knowing and establishing your baseline as a first step is always going to be crucial because you're going to pull your hair out when you get halfway through the social media game and you realize you painted yourself in a corner and you just don't know why you're serving the people that you're serving and you're not making the amount of income that you're making. And it's not that you have to do what you're passionate about. It's just knowing yourself and knowing how you can best serve people based on how much you know about yourself. I think that's really the name of the game in business there. Yeah, I totally agree. And actually, it was very difficult for me to pinpoint our home staging style and actually ask my clients. And that's how I was able to get the adjectives to describe what exactly we did for our marketing. Because our client actually sees us in a very different light than we often see ourselves. We're too close. It's really hard to see sometimes. Yeah, I totally agree. Even when we're running our home staging business, I'll ask client randomly hey, my business coach is making me do this. Can you just answer a few questions about us and what you really perceive? And then I find that once we apply that in our marketing, it became a more refined campaign in a way that people are more attracted, they're more responsive, they're more engaged to what we're putting out there in the flyers and in the brochures and stuff. So I think that's a really valuable advice. Yeah, absolutely. It's not sexy. It's never talked about because it's not sexy. And because it's not sexy, that was actually one of the first things that we did on the agency side whenever we worked with a client. People don't buy these things. We marketed to them and sold them on what they thought they needed. But then when we started working with them, we gave them what they really needed, right? It's like saying we're going to give you carrot cake, but we're actually going to give you cooked carrots when we work with you because that's what you actually need. Starting with the clients themselves and the words that they're using to describe their pain points and what they desire, that's really important. That's the most important thing you'll ever have for your business. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think business owner in general, they underestimate how much research you have to do about your own business in order for you to do external things like marketing, you know, targeting the client, figuring out who you serve. Those are all very valid things that we need to run our business effectively. Because if you are doing the marketing and you're not targeting the right people, then you're attracting the wrong client into your business. So you're going to get frustrated. You're going to feel like you're working with clients who are not the exact right fit for you. And so it actually will create a lot more issues in your business. So yeah, actually, I think really the fortune favors the prepare. The more understanding you have about your client, the more effective you're going to be as a home staging business owner. Absolutely. I totally agree. 100%. 
And I think it's really interesting that you come from a very commercial background, you know, working with artists like Lady Gaga and 50 Cent. I mean, these are all very commercialized artists. They are their own merchandise, right? You know, Lady Gaga has postcards, T-shirts, music CDs, and all this stuff, merchandising. So it's very clear that they're selling something. But I think with a service-based business, it's a bit different. Our sales strategy is a little bit more organic, I think. I think it's a lot of times about trust building. Because we're not like Lady Gaga. You know, we don't have songs on the radio. We don't have billion-dollar marketing budget kind of thing. We don't have million people following us on Instagram. So how can we build organic relationship and make it trustworthy with our potential home station customers? That's another great question. Yeah, I think you were right on the money when it's just really about organic trust building process. And that's what designers out there and the stagers out there are really good at is listening, active listening, and getting to know what the priorities are for the client that you're working with and making sure that your design is going to facilitate that, be conducive to that, to those priorities. And so that takes a lot of active listening. And so trust is being built. And that's during the process of you getting to the point of working with them. And what's really going to be important is for you to build that trust prior to getting to that point of sales engagement, right? So there's a whole process. There's a whole gap there in that journey that you know we're all left wondering, like, how do we put ourselves out there and gain that trust even before we ever meet them? That's always the rub. And I think it's really down to a word that really resonates a lot with me, which is a word that I actually learned from a marketer named Jay Abraham. Do you know who Jay Abraham is? No, tell me more about him. I don't know his life story or exactly, you know, everything that he does, but I do know that he's a legend in the industry in terms of a marketer. Like he's very old school. He was the marketer that everybody learned from, right? He has a lot of goodwill built in the marketplace and in the industry, but he has this one word that he uses, which is called preeminence. And preeminence is really important because the way I would define it is it's about focusing on your inner game. When it comes to building trust in the marketplace, there's inner game and there's outer game. Inner game is like air quotes here. I'm doing air quotes right now. Woo-woo stuff, right? You really need to woo-woo yourself and understand how you're going to be of service inside of your business. That's an internal exercise with you, yourself, or maybe with your team. It's about understanding your core values and how you stick to those core values as you express them online, because that's what's going to build trust. When you're true to yourself and authentic to your own values, you don't steer away from them. And preeminence is really about The idea that, look, you can be as salesy as you want. It doesn't matter, but people will still trust you and buy from you as long as they know that you have their best interests at heart. It's when they know that you're all about serving them rather than selling them. And that comes from a deep inner knowing of how you're going to serve And that is expressed in some very concrete ways. May I actually share with you a concept that I call design emergence? Yeah, definitely. I'm open to it for sure. (laughs) Great. So this is the best way I think about it for designers. Basically, 
when I say design emergence, design emergence is a concept that is all about how can we get to the point of being trusted? How can we get to the point of emulating that trust that's very on par with the referrals and word of mouth that we get offline? How can we take that online? Well, we need to achieve design emergence. And design emergence falls into the way I see it is three different categories, three different areas, three different whatnot, you know, like these are just areas of skill that you need to develop, areas of knowing that you need to develop in order to, to achieve that kind of emergence. And so I look at it as like three different oceans. And when I say oceans, I talk about oceans in two different senses. And in one sense, the ocean concept is in terms of competition. Are you swimming in a blue ocean in blue waters where there's no competition? Or are you in a red ocean where everyone's clawing at each other and it's very red? And so having an understanding of which ocean you're operating in to build that trust is very important. And which oceans you're not operating in to build that trust is also important. And the three oceans that I think are are very important for you to, I guess, operate in or put yourself out there in is the human ocean the process ocean, and the design ocean. And the design ocean by itself, it typically is very, very competitive. It's very red. And it's only because the advent of social media, right? Ever since social media has been so prevalent, everybody's has had a chance to go on Instagram, post those same photos. And then now it's become more of a commoditized thing. So when your clients are out there searching and viewing on Instagram, their trust signals are getting activated and they're not really going to resonate with you as much. And they're thinking, well, if I know that this designer has these photos, then how do I know that you don't just flood pillows or or whatnot? And how do I know that you have a process that's going to alleviate my fears of having a bad experience? Like, how do I know any of that when all I see are these published photos? And that's what we typically see in the design ocean is like, it's just a very red place to be. It's not that your designs aren't standing out per se, It's just that this is the ecosystem that we're operating in. The other ocean is the process ocean. And that is very important to build trust because that's the ocean where we need to crush those limiting beliefs that our clients have that prevents them from trusting us. It's getting out the word about why your process is very uniquely suited to help them, right? If you're serving a niche, then how much better would that be if your process was very specific to that particular niche? So so it's really dependent on which niche you're in. But if they were to read about your process and know that your process even has a specific name or brand name attached to it that specifically serves them, they're going to perk up their ears, right? So the more you can talk about that in the process ocean, the better. That's a much bluer ocean. It's, It's like a mix between blue and red because... There are lots of people who will talk about the process, but there are also lots who just kind of brush it over and, and say, oh, yeah, we do have a process, but also our process looks like every other stager and every other designer. It's always the same, much less serving a niche, right? Or a niche. And then there's a the human ocean, which is super, 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 super important. And the only reason why it's important is because no one can compete with you in that ocean. That ocean is all about where you're being vulnerable. You're sharing your own storyline. You lived a timeline here on this earth 
And you have specific stories that are going to help that client understand who you are internally and how you can help them externally because of the experiences you've had internally. And so by sharing that through the vehicle of storytelling, then you're able to share the same pain points with that client, share the same goals with that client, and they're much more likely to be able to resonate with you and understand you and, and empathize with you just as much as you're empathizing with them. That's a very, very blue ocean. It's a very blue ocean with no competition. And so to build trust in this marketplace, I think that you have to have all three oceans. You're putting out just enough content in each one so that you give this holistic representation of who you are. You're an integrated stager. You know, you are human first. You're very professional with your process and you always make sure to talk about it and verbalize it to a specific niche, niche even. And then you're not afraid to put yourself out there and publish your work either. And, and that's always what paralyzes a lot of people, just being afraid to publish work that isn't as perfect. But it's all about the integration. So that would be my best answer to that question is really just making sure you're holistic in the way you put yourself out there. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting way of breaking it down. But I think if I get this right, essentially, I mean, there's three different parts of our business in terms of marketing. So one is you're operating from the core value. And I, I'm a big fan of that book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I think it's a really important question that we have about our business. It's like, for example, when I run Stage for More, I have a core mission, right? For me, it's about building inclusivity and also diversity in the community, but also providing quality and modern and practical home stage education for those who are interested in growing their home staging business. And so everything I believe in my core values really comes through my business. And that's really uniquely me that no one else can really replicate. So when it comes to the blue and red ocean idea, that really is my blue ocean. Mm -hmm. And for those listeners who are interested, I recommend reading that book, Blue Ocean Strategy as well. That's a really nice way of learning more about how do you stand out amongst your competitors instead of competing in a very red ocean. Like I think with design, I think that's a really good point. Everybody is trying to compete based on skill set. But actually... When I look at who are getting hired in the marketplace, essentially people hire people they like. So they might hire a stager who may not be as good, but because they like that stager, they hire that stager. Uh, Whereas a lot of people, unfortunately, because even though they're very talented, but they're not good at marketing themselves at doing the business side of things, they're not getting asked booked as stager who may have lesser skills, but are more skilled at connecting with potential clients. I think the three areas you talk about is actually very important. It's really about part of it, finding your unique value proposition to stand out within the marketplace. What is really uniquely truly yours, but also finding a balance between marketing based on your process, uh, your professionalism, and then also your design skill set as well. Mm -hmm. That's completely right. Yeah. That's how you were successful because you understood that is a core foundation of what you did. And that's exactly what your clients want from you as well. 
right? Yeah. And I think with real estate, especially real estate is such a people business. Even though we're doing a lot of stuff online nowadays because of COVID or also with the technology advancement, people are more comfortable doing stuff online, like doing open houses or even doing viewing online because of COVID or doing consultations over Zoom meetings. But essentially, people still want to have that human connection. They want to do business with humans that they'd like. So I think it's a really important point that you brought up that we have to connect on a human level first and then go about doing the business. Because I really think you attract the people that are a lot like you. You know, like I always laugh because I think there's some pain above clients are really high maintenance, but usually they work really well with stager who are also very high maintenance. Like they're just on the same wavelength, you know? And for me, I'm very direct. I'm super chill. I'm woo-woo as well. You know, the whole California vibe, essentially. I do business very well with clients like me, you know, like the top agents I work with, we're just very direct. Whatever needs to get done is always business first. We don't take things personally. We just need to get this job done in a very short time frame. So yeah, so I think you definitely attract the people who are attracted to your energy. That's awesome. So you've been doing marketing for a very long time. What are some of the most effective marketing strategies that you've seen work really well for home design professionals? I think it goes back to marketing in a niche, but also figuring out where your audiences are. And this is how I reconcile this because the main problem with designers is that they don't know where their audiences are. It's one thing to know what your ideal client avatar is and who you need to be working with more on a general basis. Maybe you took a marketing workshop, took an hour out of your life, drew out your ideal client avatar, and then all of a sudden you're back in business working with new projects. You forget about your ideal client. That's been the repeated cycle. And so when it comes to social media and marketing online, it's all about knowing which platforms are going to bring you those specific audiences. And when you're serving a niche, you know yourself and you know what your niche is. I think what people don't know is that a niche actually broadens your horizon as opposed to narrowing your horizon. Because when you do it properly, you're actually folding in attributes, just like you were mentioning, people that you work with cling on to different attributes of yourself that you probably don't really verbalize as much or don't think you do. But like that person worked with me because they like so-and-so, right? And so niching is all about thinking like a polymath, which is a renaissance kind of a thing. You're kind of a renaissance person. You don't do one thing, you do everything. But you can still serve a niche while being a renaissance person. Absolutely. You can have a lot of desires. You can have a lot of different styles. You can have a lot of different inclinations. And you can still fold them as attributes into your persona and your brand while still serving a niche. And the thing about having this understanding is that each of those different attributes inside of your niche actually open up embedded audiences. Like There are audiences who are going to love you for the quirkiness that is about you online. As long as you present that online and you align yourself with and collaborate with influencers or brands or other builders who are probably also like that, then guess what? Their audiences are also going to cling on to that same attribute as you do. So it's about understanding that and pulling those out and verbalizing them as much as you can in order to open up your your marketing to 
horizons that you never thought you could open it up to. It's not as simple as, oh, I'm just going to be a stager for retail or I'm just going to be a stager for X, Y, and Z. It's not black and white at all. And as I think you, you're nodding your head because you understand like there's so many like attributes about each of us that people gravitate to us for. So I just go back to like the best marketing strategy is really about understanding yourself. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And it's just like you repping artists, you know, Lady Gaga, 50 Cent, Michael Bolton, there's three very different artists, right? They're all musicians, they're all singers, but they're all very different. But I listen to Lady Gaga, I might also listen to 50 Cent. There is overlap, you know, but the thing is that as a marketer, you need to be a little bit more clear cut in defining what your merchandise is, like what exactly is your service? Who exactly are you serving? And just blogging, for example, when I run my home staging business, I always write the blog as if a real estate agent is reading it because that is my ideal client. For me, it's much easier to target a real estate agent. Their face is on a shopping cart. They're on a bus. They're in newspaper. I can Google them. Where's a homeowner who's selling their house? I can't Google that, right? I can only put out a newsletter. They come and they bite the bait and then they subscribe to my newsletter. That's how I find if they're a home seller or not. So for me to write a blog post, my marketing is geared toward attracting real estate agent in a very specific neighborhood. But that doesn't mean the home seller is not going to respond to that as well. Because I'm sharing tips about staging in this particular neighborhood, you know, like in San Francisco Bay in the Sunset District. I'm talking about this house, which is staged in Sunset, you know, three bedroom, et cetera, et cetera. Someone who lives in Sunset and wants to sell their house is also going to find it on Google. And so that's a very effective way for me to market myself. But if I write a very general blog post about staging in general, I don't know who I'm going to attract. I might attract someone who lives in Washington, D.C., somebody who lives outside of San Francisco, or someone who's completely not my demographic at all. So I think that's a really good point is you really have to know who you are first, and then you can push out the external stuff. Yeah, I think of it like you have your persona that you're anchored into, such as the real estate professional that you're speaking to, but then you kind of let yourself go in terms of your attributes, your personal attributes and your brand. And that is going to help you attract your soulmate, right? Yeah, totally. It's like finding a husband. (laughs) (laughs) You got to put it out there first. The other reason why I invest such a large part of our conversation on marketing and niche and, you know, really refining our target in terms of marketing is because I want to chat about ads. We do get a lot of questions from listeners about possibly running Facebook ads or other platform as well. But I think Facebook is a key one because essentially nowadays everyone is on Facebook. And it's actually, I think, in a way more effective than Google Ads because Facebook has video. It has more multiple dimensions that we can attract clients. So I think one of the biggest fears about running ads is going to be a waste of time and money. So when people are first stepping into running Facebook ads, what kind of budget should we be looking at when we're thinking about running ads? That's a wonderful, wonderful question. And I'm not going to be the person who's going to say, well, it depends. It can be arranged between this number and that number because we've all heard that so many times, which doesn't help us out. I'll give you an exact number, $5 a day, $100 tops. In fact, you should know whether or not your niche is going to be good for you with $100 spend. So you can literally spend $5 a day to find that out. $5 a day, 
for 20 days, that adds up to $100, right? And so you can spend conservatively. And in fact, this is one of the first things that I do with clients who are still unsure about what their niche is. When they present to me five different niches, they're like, well, I don't know. I, I think I want to do short-term rentals. No, I don't. I think I want to do new homeowners, second homeowners. No, actually commercial was a little bit better. So what we do is we do rapid testing with ads. And all ads is, is just a faster path. It's not a faster path. It's just speeding up the process of social media marketing. That's all it is. Organic social media marketing. It's just speeding up the learning. That's all. When you can spend the money correctly with an ad that works for that niche, then you can learn whether or not your local area or regional area has enough demand for your value proposition to be able to spend enough time on that particular niche. So when I work with a designer for for 90 days, the first week, we're going to figure that out right away. We're not going to waste any more time, right? So in terms of ads, I typically recommend spending $5 a day if you don't know what your niche is, up to $100. Of course, I'm going to help you with the ad and stuff. And then once you get that right, we're going to figure out how much feedback you get. If it's bad feedback or good feedback, we're going to figure out what to do from there. But also assuming that you've been established and you already know what you're doing and you already know everything that you need to know about your ideal client. So then still, it's going to be a very conservative spend for you to be able to book consultations. I would say, Average industry standard, when a designer is paying for for leads, whether it be Google ads or Facebook ads, you're typically looking at a two to $300 customer acquisition cost. That's pretty industry standard. And of course, there's varying quality of that two to $300 that you're actually spending, depending on what niche you're serving, right? Uh, it's different for eco-friendly nursery design niche than it is for like a commercial high-rise project that you're looking for, obviously. But when it comes to Facebook ads, it's actually the most cost-friendly thing you can do to put yourself out there and get in front of the right people, which is your niche, and show them your value proposition as for as little as $5 a day. That's great. And so for $200 to $300, is that per project you're saying? No, that's a great question. That is actually per lead, per consultation. So on average, we can talk to four people, if not six, to actually land a project. So you'd have to multiply that by four to six. Yeah, no, that's really good, actually. And can we talk a little bit about the types of ads that people can run? So I know you can promote a pose and you can also do retargeting as well. And obviously, one of the things I think people probably should do is they should install Facebook Pixel right away, correct? Mm. No, actually, I don't recommend the Facebook Pixel because that takes so much time. And for those who aren't as tech savvy, it gets in the way, right? So The thing is, the Facebook pixel is appropriate when you want to get people to your website. You want people to visit your website. Well, what if you don't necessarily need them to visit your website as a first step in order to have them volunteer their email contact information in order to contact you, right? For some kind of low-risk offer. In that instance, you can totally just skip the Facebook pixel 
You don't need to add it to your website. You can just rely on Facebook's own native feature set, which is they allow you to use their own form, right? It's called Facebook lead ads. And that doesn't require a Facebook pixel. It's a situation where someone sees your ad, they click on it, and a form pops up and it's a Facebook native form fill. And then the person fills out the form, gives their first name, email, phone number, project description, and then they're led to the next step, which is if you want to give them that particular lowest offer or redirect them back to your website, right? And the goal here is that you're going to collect their email contact information. You're going to generate that lead without the Facebook pixel. But then if you're going to retarget them later on, of course, you can add that pixel to your website because they're eventually going to go back to your website. They're on your email list. You're sending newsletters. And, you know, you're redirecting back to your project portfolio. Course, you're going to want to eventually add that Facebook pixel. But in the beginning, from the onset, you absolutely don't need a Facebook pixel to generate leads. That's great. And then, so what are some of the metrics that we should be tracking to tell if our ads are performing well or if it's performing poorly? I'm a very old school kind of person when it comes to metrics. I really just care about two different key metrics, which is cost per lead and overall ROI cost. So how many leads did you have to generate in order to actually book the ideal project? Was it an ideal client kind of thing? Other metrics, I really just advise to look at the engagement on your posts. Are people commenting? Are people liking? Are people responding to it? If not, there's probably something going on there that isn't resonating with them. And by the way, your cost per lead, you know, typically if you're promoting something like an ebook, top staging tips, ebook, or whatever it is, your cost per lead is going to be between $5 and $15. So if you're not landing between that range, you can pretty much know that you don't need to worry about anything else other than that number. So for example, let's say you're spending $5 a day. You're promoting an ebook and you're using the native form fill. So you're not, you're not using the Facebook pixel. You're not bumbling around with that on your website. You put out the ad. You're spending $5 a day. And then if you're not generating a lead by the third day, which adds up to $15 in total ad spend, then you could probably surmise that your ad isn't working. And if you do it for six days, like a whole week, you wait a whole week and you haven't generated one lead, your ad probably is bad. What do you consider a lead? When you look at the stats, you can see someone look at the ad and click on the ad. So does that make them a lead? Or does it actually mean that they respond to your call to action? So for example, you had to download a PDF or whatever it is, or to call you, then that becomes a lead. How do you define a lead? I define a lead as someone who provides their email contact information as a minimum in order to claim that low risk or high risk offer that you have to give. A low risk offer in my definition is something like an ebook. They don't really have to give up a lot of financial risk to claim that ebook. They don't have to talk to you on the phone to claim that ebook. There's no emotional risk involved. A high risk offer is more like a consultation, a paid consultation or, you know, a phone call. So that's a great answer. I love that. No one really talks about what exactly is a lead. And I think that is really confusing for people who are starting to run ads. They're not sure what exactly is a qualifying lead for them. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see when people make, especially I think with ad assets as well, people think that 
oh, I just promote a pose or I promote a photo and that's it. But I think a lot of times maybe call to action is not very clear or the photo itself is not grabbing. What do you see are some of the common mistakes that people make? Well, it's almost never the photo because I know many people can easily grab a stock photo. Even if they don't have that perfect project, they're going to grab a stock photo and use that in an ad, right? I don't think that is actually the hard part. The hardest part is really, I think I can simplify it to like a couple of things. The very first couple of sentences in the ad should absolutely do two things. It should call out to your ideal client or niche, and it should pre-qualify them. Pre-qualify them on budget preferably. So preferably, you can make a statement that typically our project, we work with clients, our ranges from between this and that. And that will automatically weed them out very, very quickly, right? And it's okay to sound like that because you are advertising, you're spending harder and money and people will respect when you're upfront with them as well. So calling out the ideal client. So, you know, if you're trying to attract the real estate professional first, then obviously you're going to say calling out real estate professionals in Los Angeles, California, or in Los Angeles, you wouldn't say California. And then typically you would have like a pain point that you're saying, you know, asking them if they are experiencing that could be just one line. But then the next line, make sure that you're adding in a pre-qualifier. Like we typically work with clients who do this and this, and we, our project ranges are priced typically from this and this. Just be very upfront about it. Be very matter of fact about it. Don't be afraid to do that. I've spoken with many people who have been afraid to pre-qualify in that way. They're like, oh, I don't want to sound salesy. I don't want to sound... When you're spending harder and money, don't worry. People will respect you for that. And they'll want to work with you even more because of that. So sometimes what that does is that raises your ad cost a little bit, but not by that much. But then you'll also know that you're tracking the right people and you're spending your $5 a day well spent. That's amazing. I love that. I think the salesy part is what trips people up. They're afraid that they're being seen as a salesperson, but actually we are salespeople because we're business owners. Yes. You'd be doing them a disservice if you're leaving that out, as a matter of fact, right? Just think of it that way for everybody out there. Like you're doing people a disservice when you're not being salesy. Yeah. Of course, we all have different definitions of being salesy, but in this context of salesy, you just telling them and being transparent and saying, look, I might not be a great fit for you. Yeah, exactly. I think the pre-qualifying is really important because I think those are the things that also save us time from an operational standpoint. I don't want to waste time and money on people who are not the right fit for my clientele because I can be wasting all the time, even more time and resources down the line. If it turns out there's an issue with a project or some sort of misfit, and miscommunication, I think that's all going to be more of a headache later on to deal with. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it gets yeah. very fearsome when you start attracting the wrong people into your orbit. You feel like you're just on this hamster wheel and you don't know what you're posting about anymore. You're not really getting that engagement. And then when you finally do get someone coming out from the woodwork, it ends up being a very, 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 very non ideal client. And so what we want to do is just reverse engineer that, bring it back to basics and just be like, look, let's just start over and tell everybody who we're not going to fit for, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing too is we get questions about Instagram ads since Facebook now owns Instagram. So is Instagram ads fairly similar to that process with running Facebook ads? I would say so, yes. It's really just a matter of understanding if you know your clients are going to be on Instagram. Are they the creative types who are actually going to be posting creative stuff on Instagram? Are they even going to own an Instagram account? Or are they more on Facebook? You know, I think that's the very first question you should be asking yourself. But in terms of testing out ads, it's not really a difficult thing at all. The same principles would apply for Facebook as it would, would apply for Instagram ads. Yeah. And in terms of performance, do you see a difference between a photo versus a video? Does one perform better than the other? And also there's algorithm as well. I think all social media platforms now are preferring video content. And they're really, you know, especially Instagram with wheels, with guys, with IGTV. You're definitely seeing more engagement on videos. Yeah, because whenever a platform rolls out a new feature, they're going to want you to use that very, very much. And that's just unfair. Like when Reels came out, you expect us to really come on. And I really don't think that's fair. I'm not going to sell my soul to the content machine. Now, that being said, of course, there's a good balance that you can still strike. When it comes to ads, though, what I find to work really well is photos. And not just one single individual photo, but a carousel of photos. That gives the prospective client an opportunity to swipe and see like four to five different images of that same style, or maybe several different styles that you can bring to the table. And that typically performs better than an individual photo. And then what I like to do is use the video as means to retarget them because that gives them your human nature. And I really couldn't care less about whether that video that is retargeted them actually generated the lead. I just care that the face in that video got in front of the audience and really bared the soul with them. And that's the where the connection happens. That's where the trust is being built. And that's the metric that I look for. I think that is amazing and fantastic. So we're coming up to the end of our show. Thank you so much for being on today. And so why well, I was asked one last question to close out. So what would be your number one tip you give to homestagers when it comes to finding the right niche for their homestaging business? Okay. So I love this question. And as you know, I'm a big proponent of knowing yourself before you decide on who you're best fit to serve. And the best way to immediately get to the point of knowing yourself is to just ask yourself one question, which is, uh, how do I word this without sounding... I was going to say who you hate, but normally you're probably going to start to question yourself and be like, well, I don't necessarily hate anyone, but you probably do have strong dislikes or opinions about certain people. And if you could identify three people who you have strong opinions about people who you disagree with and why you disagree with them, that's a very good indicator of what's tucked in your shadow and probably something that it's a situation where those attributes you have yourself as well, and you are in agreement with that in you. And that, like I said, it's a, it's a very good indicator for who you are as a person and probably what you need to be working on and integrating into the real world and into your life, right? So I think that's a great question. And it's a constant exercise I take myself through whenever I'm watching TV, reading a book, and something triggers me. 
and I'm in disagreement with somebody, it's always, always, probably 90, 95% of the time, it comes back to, oh, when I was eight years old, da, 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 I was like, this happened to me. And, and I, I never forgave myself for it. When I was 26 years old, this happened to me and I never forgave myself for it. And, you know, when you can understand that part about yourself, you can do the work to understand how you can best fill that gap and better serve the people that you actually want to serve. And I think it's very enlightening. So that's the very first thing I would do. That's very actionable. and It's very quick. Yeah, it's a very interesting advice. I never heard anyone put it that way before. So thank you so much for being on the show before. That was a very eye-opening episode, I think, in terms of fine-tuning your marketing and also getting some knowledge with running Facebook ads. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Cindy. It was a pleasure to be on the show. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.